Well, good evening. It's good to see you all here. It's good to join together to sing our praises to our God, isn't it? So now we're going to turn to the Word of God. We're going to turn to Exodus 37. We're not going to read the whole two chapters. We're going to read some excerpts. We're also, I'll explain how we're going to do it. We're, we're not going to go through verse by verse the two chapters, but we're going to look at three key themes Three key questions for us all to consider, actually, uh, and uh, look at our own lives in relation to. <coughs> but let's start with the reading from the Word of God, because that's what ought to have, pre- uh, ought to have prominence. So let's, uh, let's read Exodus chapter 37 from verse 1. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half was its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside, and made a molding of gold around it. And he cast for it four rings of gold for its four feet, two rings on its one side and two rings on its other side. And he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold and put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark. And he made a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half was its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And he made two cherubim of gold. He made them of hammered work on the two ends of the mercy seat. One cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat, he made the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, with their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat were the faces of the cherubim. Down to verse 25. He made the altar of incense of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit, and its breadth was a cubit. It was square, and two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it. He overlaid it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns, and he made a molding of gold around it and made two rings of gold on it under its molding on two opposite sides of it as holders for the poles with which to carry it. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He made the holy anointing oil also and the pure fragrant incense blended as by the perfumer. He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood Five cubits was its length, and five cubits its breadth. It was square, and three cubits was its height. He made horns for it on its four corners. Its horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. And he made all the utensils of the altar, the pots, the shovels, the basins, the forks, and the firepans. He made all its utensils of bronze. And he made for the altar a grating, a network of bronze, Under its ledge, extending halfway down, he cast four rings on the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. And he put the poles through the rings on the sides of the altar to carry it with them. He made it hollow with boards. Now, we're going to leave the reading there. We'll look to the Lord to add his blessing to what we've read and... uh, If you haven't had an opportunity to read the rest of those two chapters before the meeting, 
then, you know, do take the opportunity, if you can, to have a read later on and just uh, fill in the gaps that we haven't read there. So here's a question for you. What were you doing on the 26th of February last year? Well, if you were here, that's the night that we set off on our journey through Exodus. And as Tim mentioned, we spent quite some time in Exodus and then we paused for a couple of months at the end of 2023 as we looked at uh, church principles. And now we're going to set off again. We're actually almost at the end of Exodus, as you might have noticed. But perhaps we could do with just a little quick recap. I, I never like spending too long on recaps because, um, you know, you, 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 this, this will all be things that you've, you've heard already. But it has been some time, so... Um, let's just have a quick, a quick recap. So, um, timeline, the date of the Exodus, can't exactly pinpoint it, and there's a little bit of debate, but uh, generally thought to be possibly around 1446 BC. So you've got your whole Bible timeline here, right from the start of Genesis there, all the way through to New Testament times later on there, the cross there. So 1446 BC, or thereabouts. Uh, Tim said to me earlier, he says, you're going, to be put, you're going to be mentioning the British Museum. And I hadn't actually kind of written into the notes, but strangely enough, this slide, which I put together for uh, our overview of Exodus at the start of chapter one, um, actually has a couple of uh, items there from the British Museum. So there we go. Job done, British Museum mentioned. Important point about that. All that we're reading tonight is stuff that actually did happen. This is actually history, okay? Of course, the word of God is all true and is authoritative and reliable. And it's important to remind ourselves, isn't it? And it's not that we believe it because there's stuff in the British Museum that fits with it. Uh, the word of God is the authority. But what we are reading, it's just a reminder to us, isn't it? That this is actual history. What's the overall theme of the book? Well, the title that we put over, that, that, that I suggested when we, looked, when we started off this journey way back in February last year, <coughs> was freed to worship, freed to worship. So the Lord brings Israel out of Egypt where they're enslaved and instructs them on how to live as his people as he dwells in their midst. And we're going to look particularly at that, that last bit tonight, God dwelling with his people. And we see all sorts of pictures of our salvation story in Exodus, don't we? Because, of course, we know that the Lord Jesus sets us free from slavery to sin. Uh, we know that he is the, 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 the Passover lamb, the one whom the Passover lamb points to and, and looks forward to, uh, whose sacrifice rescues us from, from judgment and death. Um, we learn that he is God's presence on earth because he came and lived, you know, the word became flesh and lived among us, tabernacled among us. And we're going to look particularly again tonight at this concept of God dwelling among his people. Um, <coughs> so we see redemption through sacrifice. And we see, you know, not only the sort of means of our salvation, the redemption through sacrifice, but also the content of our, sal of our salvation, enjoying God's presence. And again, we're going to look very much at that tonight, that concept of enjoying God's presence. So, where are we? How far have we come so far? Well, God, of course, way back early on in Exodus, revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. And he revealed himself and said, I am who I am. God then brings the ten plagues on Egypt and miraculously delivers the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. He's led them through the Red Sea. 
He's fed them in the wilderness, manna from heaven. He's provided them with water from the rock. And they've camped at Sinai. And God has given them the Ten Commandments and various other laws. And then he has given detailed instructions for the construction of the tabernacle. And back in chapters 25 to 30, we saw the detailed instructions that God gave for construction of the tabernacle. He said who it is who is to, who's to take responsibility for the building of the tabernacle. And uh, he's appointed Bezalel and Aholiab. And what's the whole purpose of the, of the tabernacle? Well, in Exodus 25 and 8, God has said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And then disaster struck. Disaster struck because while Moses was on Mount Sinai and uh, meeting with the Lord, the people made a golden calf to worship. And one of the real low points of the book of Exodus, the people descending into idolatry. And uh, the Lord told Moses and the people, right, depart from Sinai, go to the promised land. But, and God says, you know, I'll send an angel before the people. But God says, I'm not going to go up among them. Because uh, lest I consume them on the way, the Lord says. Because they're a stiff-necked people. And that's chapter 33 of Exodus. And the people mourn. And Moses interceded for the people and said something quite remarkable. This is chapter 33 of Exodus. And he says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. It's quite, it's quite striking, isn't it? Because for Moses, there was something more important than the promised land. For Moses, there was something more important than what he could get from God. For Moses, what was most important was the presence of God himself. There's a challenge for us, isn't it? You know, are we focused on what we can get from God. It's right that we ask things of God. We pray, obviously, in accordance with his will. But above all, are we concerned with what we can get from God? Or do we want God himself? Do we want his presence? Do we want to know him more? And we're going to see that that is a key theme of what we'll look at tonight as we look at the tabernacle. And the Lord agrees to Moses' request. And he says, the very thing that you've spoken I will do, for you found favour in my sight and I know you by name. Then Moses makes a request of God that sounds bold. It is bold, but it was his heart's desire. Please show me your glory. And on Mount Sinai, the Lord reveals himself to Moses as the, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I always find that striking, don't you? That of all the characteristics that God could have revealed himself to Moses in reference to, he could have spoken about his holiness, and, and that would have been absolutely true. God is more holy than we can ever comprehend. He could have spoken about his righteousness. He could have spoken about the fact that he has the right to judge. He could have spoken about so many things that would have been absolutely true and, and are aspects of his character that are revealed clearly in scripture and we're not, you know, we're not seeking to downplay that. But of all the things that God could have revealed himself to Moses as, he says, I'm a God, merciful and gracious. I'm a God slow to anger. I'm abounding, overflowing with steadfast love and faithfulness. Well, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and the skin of his face shines because he's been talking with God. So, 
preparations now need to be made for the building of the tabernacle. The instructions have been given, and he will start to give contributions. That was chapter 35. They start to give contributions for the construction of the tabernacle. They actually gave so much that they had to be told to, to, to stop giving. And now, in tonight's passage, the construction of the tabernacle, tabernacle begins. You're going to find there's a little bit of repetition tonight because we've obviously gone through the chapters where the design of the tabernacle, the instructions for, the, for how the tabernacle was to be designed have been given. Now, what is striking is that when you read the chapters that we have tonight, they are almost word for word the same as the instructions. And that's the whole point. What God, said, what God told the people to do is exactly what they did. God requires our obedience. And when God says, this is how you do it, that's how we do it. And it's very interesting. It's an interesting little exercise. Try, yeah, try, it, try it when you go home. Just pick, pick any one of the items in the tabernacle. You don't need to do it for all of them. Pick it for any one of them and compare what was done with the instructions given. And it'll amaze you. It's almost word for word. The people learned, it would seem, the importance of obedience. So, here they are. They're down at Sinai, down at the, the, the foot of Mount Sinai. They're camped there. And we're not going to go through all the items in the tabernacle tonight. We'd be here for a long time, I think, if we did that. We're going to pick three items. And we're going to take three lessons. We're actually going to start from the outside and work in. Now, if you noticed in the passage tonight, the construction is described starting from the inside and working out. We're going to start from the outside. We're going to, we're, we're going to look at the court, first of all. I'm going to speak about one item in this court. We're going to talk about this bronze altar or the altar of the burnt offering. We're going to learn a lesson there about the Lord Jesus being the perfect sacrifice. We're then going to go into the holy place. That's this bit here. And we're going to look specifically at the altar of incense. And uh, I've got a bigger diagram of it in a minute, so... Don't worry that it's, 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 it's not particularly big there. And under, as we look at the altar of incense, we're going to see particularly that God requires obedience from us. And then we're going to come right to the, the ark in the most holy place, the holy of holies. And we're going to see that God wants to meet with and dwell with his people. So that's our three points we're going to. So we're we're, we're, we're not covering everything tonight, and forgive me if your favourite item in the tabernacle is not something that we have time to talk about this evening. We can chat over coffee about it or, or whatever. Just before we dive into our three sections, let's just have a quick look at Bezalel again. Because right at the start, we, 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 we read of this man, Bezalel. We've read of him before, because God said, this is the man who's going to be responsible for making the items in the tabernacle, along with the holy app. It was a man, we learned back in chapter 31 of Exodus and verse 1, who was filled with the Spirit of God. And he was a man who was tasked with using the ability and intelligence and knowledge and craftsmanship that he had been given. He was tasked with using them for the service of God. You see, God said, this is the man who's going to do these things, who's going to do this work for me. And I'm going to equip him. 
I'm going to give him all the ability and all the, all the intelligence and all the knowledge and all the tactical skills, craftsmanship. And some of this was really intricate stuff. And Bezalel's going to use those abilities that he's been given for the service of God. Well, there's an obvious lesson for us, isn't there? Every Christian, every believer is, just like Bezalel, every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Bezalel was described as being filled with the Spirit of God. Every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we've all been given different abilities. You know, there'd be no point, for example, in tasking me with doing a building work or even a simple DIY job like hammering in a nail or something. Uh, when I was at school, art was not my strong subject. And I remember one day we were tasked with doing a, a, a piece of figure drawing. So one of our classmates had to sit up on, the, on, on, on a table and uh, we all had to do a figure drawing of her. And uh, we, we, I, I did the best I could. And, and the art teacher came round and, and he looked. This was long before the kind of, you know, feedback sandwiches or two stars and a wish or other ways of giving, you know, feedback. And he looks for a minute and he says, well, I guess it's better than your pottery, he said. <laughs> if you want to see my pottery, <laughs> I actually recently, my, my, my parents found a piece of pottery that I made in that era in secondary school. And uh, yeah, uh, it would explain to you why my pottery was even worse. But the question for all of us is, are we willing to use what we've been given? Whatever abilities, talents, opportunities we've been given. Are, are we willing to use them for the service of God? So Bezalel clearly was. And now let's launch into the tabernacle, the building of the tabernacle. So I'm going to start with this outer court, as I said. And you'll notice that it, it, this is going to mean we're kind of going backwards through our passage. Forgive me for that. I hope that doesn't disorientate anyone. But here's a diagram. So we're starting with the outer court. Uh, the outer court, south side, 40, 46 metres long, basically, hangings of fine twined linen. 20 pillars. You can count them out if you want. I counted them out earlier just to check. There are indeed 20 pillars in this diagram. 20 bases of bronze. Hooks of pillars and fillets of silver. North side the same. West side 23 metres uh, along. 10 pillars and, and, and 10 bases. And then the east side, the one with the opening on it here, down here. So basically 23 metres, but that's uh, kind of 6.75 metres each side with an opening there. A screen for the gate of the, the court. Uh, embroidered with needlework and blue, purple and scarlet yarns. Fine twined linen. And uh, the instructions... What had been given, the instructions had been given back in chapter 27. And again, what you'll notice is that if you compare chapter 27, verses 9 to 19, with chapter 38, verses 9 to 20, you will see that the court, this outer court, was made exactly as instructed, exactly as per God's instruction. And when you come in through this outer court, the first thing you come to is this altar of burnt offering or bronze altar. And this was, we read about this in chapter 38 and verses 1 to 7. And this was one of the passages that we read. So we're basically looking at this item here, okay? The bronze altar. I thought, I'd, I thought I had a larger version of it. I obviously don't have a larger version of that. 
it was actually it, it was actually quite large. So it's made of acacia wood, which apparently was plentiful in the wilderness of Sinai. So uh, of course it makes sense that that was the type of wood that was that was used for so many of these items. It was 2.3 meters long. If you want this in old money simulator, I did all the conversion from from cubits to to new money, um, but. Uh, uh, we can work it out for old money. 2.3 metres long, 2.3 metres broad, and 1.4 metres high. It's got horns on its four corners. It's overlaid with bronze. The utensils are made of bronze. It's got a grating under its ledge, and the grating extends halfway down. No, I don't have a, I don't have a larger version of that. Um, and uh, four rings on the four corners of the, of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. Poles made of acacia wood and overlaid with bronze, and the poles went through the rings on the sides of the altar so that it could be carried with them when they moved. Because, of course, the, the camp would move, and they would have to be able to take and transport and carry all these items. And God, of course, gave instructions for how, they were to be, how it was to be transported as well. And uh, so it was in this sort of, it's outside the tent of the tabernacle, but it's within the courtyard. And it's the altar where the priests would offer the sacrifices that the Lord commanded Israel to bring to him. And uh, we're not obviously going to go through seven chapters of Leviticus to look at all the different offerings. But let's just look at the burnt offering in chapter one of Leviticus. We're not going to read it, but if you look briefly at it, just skim it down. What do we see about the burnt offerings that were going to be offered on that altar of burnt offering, on that bronze altar? Well... If someone offered a burnt offering, they would offer a male without blemish, Leviticus 1 and 3. This burnt offering would make atonement, verse 4 of the same chapter. Blood would be shed. The sacrificial animal would be killed and blood would be shed. And it would be a pleasing aroma Verse 9, to the Lord, be pleasing to the Lord. So let's just think about this, and we're, we're really glossing over a lot of detail here. I'm sure you'll be pleased to, be pleased to know. There's a lot of very you know, lovely detail in all this, but obviously we, we, we just don't have, have time to go, to go into it all. A male without blemish, making atonement, bloodshed, pleasing to the Lord. Who is the perfect fulfilment of those burnt offerings of course we know it's the Lord Jesus Ephesians 5 and 2 says walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God so as we look at the altar of burnt offering we see a picture a little foretaste of the Lord Jesus the perfect sacrifice whose blood would be shed for us and who would bring delight to God and fully satisfy God. And you see, the altar of the burnt offering was the first thing that people would encounter as they came in. They'd come there and they, the altar of the burnt offering was the, the, the first thing that they would come across. Really, it's as if the message is you can get no further until blood's been shed Atonement's made. We get no further with the things of God until we trust in Christ's atoning sacrifice, until we trust in the Lord Jesus. So we look at the bronze altar and we're reminded of Christ 
the perfect sacrifice. And the question for each one of us is, for, for, for each one of you, you know, are you trusting in Christ, the perfect sacrifice? There's the, the, the challenge, isn't it? Because you get no further until you've come to trust in Christ. Then they came to the, the bronze basin. We're going to skip over the bronze basin, I'm afraid. Um, and it was used for washing. It was between the tent of meeting and the altar. There was uh, water in it, and Aaron and his sons would wash their hands and feet with the water. And uh, whenever they came near, went into the tent of meeting, whenever they came near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they would wash with water so that they may not die. They had to keep themselves clean, the priests. How do we get kept clean? Well, often when you look at washing of water, we're reminded of the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 9. Anyone who's ever been involved in any CYC camp knows this verse, don't you? You've maybe even got a hoodie that's got it on the back and, you know, wear it. Um, I don't have one, actually. Well, um, how can a young man, Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. The importance for the believer of keeping, reading regularly, daily, the word of God. And that's an important habit to get into. And whatever reading plan you have, you know, have, have a reading plan that takes you systematically through, through the Bible. You know, whether you do it in a year or whether it takes you longer than a year, have a plan that takes you systematically through the Bible and get into the habit that that's what you do every day. It's a good thing. Every one of us has different routines, so we'll not be too prescriptive about this. I, I find it very helpful to read my Bible as the first thing I do in the morning. Um, you know, so I'll sit down at my breakfast and uh, ideally before I go to the, you know, the, 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 the phone or the iPad or whatever, you know, get with the word of God. That's, that's really important and get into a habit of that. So let's move on now. We'll move from the, uh, we'll move from the outer court here. We're moving into the holy place now. The holy place now is this, this, this tabernacle tent here. So we're zooming in now on this tabernacle tent. There were a few items in there. There was a table, um, a table that uh, we didn't read of. You, you, you could read of it in Exodus 37 from verses 10 to 16. It was made of acacia wood. It's 90 centimetres long. It's 45 centimetres broad. It's 67.5 centimetres high. It's got a moulding of gold around it. You notice how the materials get more precious the closer we get to this, the, this most holy place that we're going to get to in due course. There's a rim around it. 7.5 centimetres wide, there's a moulding of gold around the rim, there's four rings of gold fastened to the four corners at its four legs, there's poles of acacia wood to carry the table, they're overlaid with gold, there's vessels of pure gold that are to be on the table, plates and dishes for incense, bowls and flagons with which to pour drink offerings, and if you want to do that little exercise I suggested earlier where you compare it with the instructions, they're in Exodus 25, verses 23 to 30, and guess what? They're exactly the same. It was made exactly as instructed. And bread was put on it, the bread of the presence, as it was called, set on the table before God regularly. It was 12 loaves of the bread of the presence, which were holy. Well, of course, we're looking at bread and what, what's one, one thing that we are reminded of? We're reminded of the Lord Jesus, aren't we? John 6, 35, I am the bread of life, he says. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So there was a the table. Then there was the lampstand. Lampstand's over there, basically. Well, there's the table. 
There's the lampstand. So the lampstand's made of pure gold. Six branches going out of its sides, so, so you'll see that in total you've got these uh, uh, seven sort of uh, uh, holders here, uh, you know, three each side and one coming up from the stem. Um, cups are made like almond blossoms. It's sort of uh, reminiscent of a tree, really, isn't it? Each with a calyx and a flower in each branch. Um, the lampstand itself with four cups made like almond blossoms. Um, the whole of it was a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. All the utensils were made of pure gold. And guess what? Exodus 25 verses 31 to 40 gives the instructions and you can compare and see that the instructions and how it was made were exactly the same. And the lamps were set up to give light on the space in front of it. And then it, th this would have been the only source of light within that holy place, within, within that, that tent. And the only source of light. We think on light. What do we think on? We think again in the Lord Jesus, don't we? John 8 and 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But now we come to the altar of incense. And we're just going to, this is our second point, really. If our first point was about the brazen altar and the Lord Jesus Christ being the perfect sacrifice. Our second point is about the altar of incense. We read about it in Exodus 37, verses 25 to 29. And we're going to see that God requires obedience. So let's look at this altar of incense. So it's made of acacia wood. Bear in mind, these are obviously just artists' sort of renditions and, and there's one rendering. And, there, and there's one thing to be aware of is that there were additional details clearly shown to Moses on Mount Sinai that are not in these details. So, so you know, to an extent, these are obviously just artists' impressions taking the instructions that are in uh, the, the Exodus record and, uh, you know, making what is, appears to be a, a, as accurate a representation as they can. But they're only, they're only representations, obviously. So the altar of incense, 50 centimetres long, 50 centimetres broad, one metre high. Horns uh, of one piece with it, overlaid with pure gold. And uh, there's a moulding of gold around it. There's two rings of gold under its moulding and two opposite sides as holders for the poles with which to carry it. Again, God gave specific instructions. The poles of acacia wood were overlaid with gold and it was holy anointing oil and pure fragrant incense that was blended as by the perfumer. And if you compare it with Exodus 30, verses 1 to 10, it was made exactly as instructed. And if you were to look at the Exodus 30 instructions, they also gave a bit of instruction about how it was going to be used. And it was to be placed in front of the veil that's above the Ark of the Testimony. So it's in the, uh, in, in, in the holy place, but not in the most holy place. It's just there. It's in front of the veil there. Okay. And uh, Aaron's to burn fragrant incense on it every morning and at twilight, a regular incense offering before the Lord. And they're given specific instructions in Exodus 30 not to offer unauthorized incense on it or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, or a drink offering. So very specific instructions here. It's to be incense born, fragrant incense, not any other unauthorized incense, just what God has instructed. And uh, Aaron's instructed to make atonement on its horns once a year, um, and it's most holy to the Lord. And what is very clear here as we look at this altar of incense is that God is making it very clear that the, th the things of God are to be done in God's way, as instructed by God. They weren't at liberty to say, well, I don't fancy doing it that way. 
I think I'll offer a different type of sacrifice. Or I think I'll do things in a way that's different. I, I think I, I can think in a way that I would prefer, that I would like better. I think I can think in a way that, that, that I, I'd, I'd like to do things in, in a different way. And uh, we see the importance here that basically that God's things are to be done in God's ways. They were not at liberty to do things differently. Now, sometimes we need, this incense was offered on this altar, and sometimes incense is a little picture to us of prayer. Uh, Psalm 141, for example, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. You know, we, we can only come to God in his appointed way, we, you know, when, we, on, on the basis of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't come any other way to him. And there is a very solemn reminder in Scripture of the seriousness of trying to do things our way instead of God's way. The seriousness of disobedience, let's call it what it is. God gives instructions. Here's how this altar of incense is to be used. Here's uh, what, what's, to, what, what, what's to be uh, uh, put on it. And uh, here's what's to be offered. Here's how it's to be done. Here's when it's to be done. All the relevant instructions. We don't have to fast forward too long to see it all going wrong. Leviticus 10, verses 1 and 2, tells us about Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. And they each took a censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Very solemn, isn't it? Here was two people, the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. We don't know exactly, you know, in what way they, they did something that was unauthorized, but it was, it was clearly disobedient to the word of God, disobedient to the clear instructions of God. And that's the key point. They thought, oh, I'll do, it. I'll do it my way. I'll do it the way I prefer. I'll do it the way I, I like. And we see something of the holiness of God. You know, worship has to be done God's way. And uh, they do things, they try and do things in a different way. They disobey. They offer unauthorized fire before the Lord. And fire comes out from before the Lord and consumes them and they die before the Lord. That's very serious, that's very serious. And I wonder, I wonder if we really grasp the holiness of God and the importance of doing things God's way. Do we really grasp that? Do we really appreciate that if God says, this is how you have to do something, this is what you have to do, or this is how you have to do it, that's what we do. And that's it. We don't say, well, I've got a personal preference to do it a different way. We don't say, well, I like it this way, or, or I just think. If God's instructed how we're to do something, that's how we do it. And the other side, of course, is if he hasn't instructed us how something is to be done, we're not to impose our own preference on it and set it up as if it was the oracle of God, the commandment of God. You know, we, we all have personal preferences about things. And uh, we might have convictions about things. But what stands and what is to be insisted on 
is the instruction of God in the word of God. A very, very serious thing to deviate from that. A very serious thing to disobey. Remember, to, to obey is better than sacrifice. We read in God's word. God wants our obedience. So if we've looked at the bronze altar and we've seen that the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice, we look at the altar of incense and we see that God requires our obedience. God wants us to obey. If you love me, the Lord Jesus said, keep my commandments. Do what I say. Let's venture yet further. Let's venture into this most holy place here. Separated by a veil that was made from blue, purple, and scarlet dyed yarns, as it says there, with fine twined linen, embroidered with cherubim. And in that most holy place was the ark. The ark which tells us of God meeting with his people. God's desire to meet with his people. So, so the ark is 1.1 meters long, is 70 centimeters broad, 70 centimeters high, overlaid with pure gold, inside and outside. It's got molding of gold around it. Four rings of gold for its four feet. It's got poles of acacia wood overlaid with gold. The poles are put into the rings on the side of the ark to carry the ark. We learn elsewhere the seriousness, when, again, when, 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 when uh, people try to find some other way, decide some other way to transport the ark. And it would be in the most holy place. The tablets of the Ten Commandments would go inside. And then there would be this covering called the mercy seat. And you'll see it's an exact match for the size of the, 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 the arcs. It's 1.1 meters long, 70 centimeters broad, and it's this covering for the ark. And then there are these two cherubim made of gold, one on each end of the mercy seat. Their wings are spread out. They're overshadowing the mercy seat. They're facing each other. And again, we see the very simple lesson. If we look back to chapter 25, we see that it was made exactly as God instructed. Because, of course, God requires complete obedience from us, doesn't he? Not partial obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. It requires complete obedience, and it was made exactly as instructed. And the point of the ark is that God wants to meet with his people. God said to Moses back in chapter 25, he said, there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. And God says to Moses, I'll meet with you there. And God keeps his word, because in Numbers chapter 7 and verse 89, we read, When Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was in the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, and it spoke to him. God did exactly what he said he would do. Well, what's the significance for us? Well, maybe your mind's already going to Hebrews. And in chapter 9, we read a commentary that tells us exactly the point of this ark in the most holy place and God meeting with his people. In Hebrews 9, verse 2, we read, For a tent was prepared 
The first section in which were the lampstand and the table, and now you're thinking, oh yeah, I get that, we've seen that. And the bread of the presence, it's called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, an Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the writer to Hebrews goes on, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing the ritual duties, but into the second, so the most holy place, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, but... When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And the Lord Jesus has done what all the high priests of old could never do. He's made a once for all sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. He is the perfect sacrifice. And he offered himself. He gave himself. And thus he secured an eternal redemption. You remember what happened at the crucifixion scene? Matthew tells us, 27 verse 51. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So the curtain that separated and that only the high priest could go only once a year, not without taking blood. And as the Lord Jesus had paid the price and cried out, it's finished and bowed his head and dismissed his spirit, this curtain in the later temple is torn in two from the top to the bottom. The way into the most holy place is open. Only God could make the way. It was torn from the top to the bottom. And the writer of the Hebrews carries on in chapter 10, verse 19. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Suddenly we see it. Because of the Lord Jesus, we can draw near to God. We can know God. We can enjoy his presence. Let me tell you a story. It's a Glasgow story. And uh, it's about a chap that I once knew. And his name was Vinny. Now, Vinny had, when, when I first got to know him, and uh, uh, my brother-in-law, Neil, was with me. We were working, we were doing some street work uh, with homeless folks mainly folks 
uh, with drug addiction. And uh, we met Vinny, and uh, he really had a, a serious, serious problem with, with drug addiction. And it was affecting every aspect of his life. So he was, he was living homeless, he was on the streets. And, and Vinny had previously done, had dealings with another Christian group many years previously. And uh, he had professed faith in the Lord Jesus, but clearly had fallen into, he'd fallen into old ways, he'd fallen into sin, he'd fallen into addiction. He was far away from where he had been and where he ought to be. And we got to know him, we knew him for years. And, uh, you know, one night we're sitting one Tuesday night with a caravan that we took out on Byers Road in Glasgow. And uh, we're talking to Vinny and he was, he was really low. He says, I need, to, I need to get back to God. I need, to, I need to get back to where I should be. And we talked for a while and we said, right, we know, we know, we know someone that, that runs a Christian rehab centre down in Kelso. Do you want me to see if we can get you in there? He said, yeah. And we talked through a bit about what that would mean and what the requirements would be placed on him. And, uh, uh, you know, he says, you know, I've got to do this. Um, so uh, we phoned up, managed to get a place. And uh, a few days later, after work, things you do when you're young, we drove from Glasgow to Kelso after work one night, took him down, myself and Neil and my sister, and we... we uh, Took him down to Kelso uh, to take him to the to, to the rehab, um, and we stopped you know, part way for some some food for a snack. And uh, as we're sitting by the side of the road, he says, "He says I want to want to teach you a song." And uh, okay, so this is a song I learned many years ago. He said when I was, you know, back when he had first heard the gospel. It was uh, called. Take me into the Holy of Holies. If you were into the music of Petra in the 80s, maybe, you, maybe you'd know it. And he sat there by the side of the road and he sang, Take me past the outer course and through the holy place, past the brazen altar, Lord, I want to see your face. Pass me by the crowds of people and the priests who sing their praise, a hunger and thirst for your righteousness, but it's only found one place. So take me into the Holy of Holies. Take me in by the blood of the Lamb. Take me into the Holy of Holies. Take the coal cleanse my lips here I am it's really moving hearing hearing Vinny singing that by the side of the road something in him some desire that he had to get to where he should be to know God now Vinny struggled and he struggled all his life and and you know he, he continued to have his struggles but here's the thing we can, we can know God. Because of the Lord Jesus, we can draw near to God. In fact, it goes further. You know, it's always good to look to the end of the book and see how it ends, isn't it? In Revelation 21, we see where it ends. It never ends, actually, in terms of God's dwelling with man. Revelation 21 and 3 tells us this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God 
he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. God's gonna dwell with his people. We're gonna dwell with him. Isn't it great that we can you know, get to know him now? That we can approach him now? And that we can look forward to you know, being with him and being with him forever? Let's wrap this up. Three questions as we start 2024. We've looked at the outer court, we've looked at the brazen altar. Question number one, are you trusting in the, the perfect sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ? Go to the altar of incense. Question two, are you living a life of obedience to God? Go to the most holy place. Question three, is your priority this year Beyond what you can get from God is your priority to know God more and to enjoy his presence. Our God wants to dwell with us. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we marvel that you, the great God of heaven, the perfect, holy, righteous one, would want to dwell with us. We don't deserve it. And we can only come into your presence because you gave your son that perfect sacrifice. Help us all this year. Help us to live lives of obedience to you because we love you. And we want to make time to spend time in your presence to know you more looking forward to looking forward to when we will spend forever in your presence help each one here bless everyone bless those who have who have faced difficult times just now help them to really be conscious of your presence right now and to look forward to that day when you will wipe away every tear from their eyes and dwell with us. We give thanks for the refreshments we're about to enjoy. Bless our time of fellowship together too, we pray. Give thanks above all for the Lord Jesus and we pray in his name.